Uh, of course, my father uh, has been arrested since 2017. They are seeking death penalty against him. And they arrested my uncle uh, two days after the arrest of my father because he broke out the, the news of the arrest of my father. And they are charging him with, uh, with uh, uh, being sympathetic to his brother, meaning my father. That was Abdullah Al-Uda, son of 63-year-old Salman Al-Uda, a prominent reformist cleric who has been detained in Saudi Arabia for over three years. He has not had a trial hearing for over a year and was handed 37 charges, including cynicism over the government's achievements. Stay with us to hear about Saudi Arabia's worsening human rights situation two years on from the brazen killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Welcome to the new Arab Voice, our podcast bringing you compelling stories and deep dives from the Middle East, Africa, Asia, and beyond. I'm Gaia Karamatsa. And I'm Daniel Hijaji. As of last week, it has been two years since the gruesome murder of Jamal Khashoggi. And so for this episode, we'll be examining Saudi Arabia's deteriorating human rights record since the journalist's assassination. And then we'll analyze how a small North African country is tackling big issues regarding gay rights and online hate speech. October 2nd marked two years since the grisly murder of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi. A royal insider turned dissident, Khashoggi went into self-exile to the United States in 2017 and began writing columns for the Washington Post. His status as a prominent Middle East commentator, as well as his pro-democracy stances, did not sit well with Riyadh. In October 2018, 59-year-old Khashoggi was lured into the Saudi consulate in Istanbul to handle marriage paperwork, then killed within minutes. His body was dismembered and his remains were never found. The CIA concluded that Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman ordered the assassination. Agnès Calamar, the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Extrajudicial, Summary or Arbitrary Executions, found credible evidence tying the Crown Prince and other senior Saudi officials to the killing. There is credible evidence, again, that the crime scene was not only investigated but was also cleaned forensically cleaned so that by the time the Turkish investigators were able to enter the consulate, uh, they found basically close to uh, very little. Accountability for Khashoggi's killing has been futile. The Saudi government has repeatedly denied its involvement in the murder, claiming it to be a rogue operation. In September, eight defendants tried for the Khashoggi case in Saudi Arabia were handed prison sentences. Five of them were sentenced to 20 years, one to 10 years, and the remaining two to seven years. The trial was denounced for its lack of transparency and accountability as the defendants' identities were not disclosed. Calamar criticized the proceedings as a parody of justice, adding the verdicts carried no legal or moral legitimacy. Ines Osman is the director of Mina Rights Group, a Geneva-based human rights organization. She said the outcome of the trial in Saudi Arabia was to be expected, but accountability for Jamal Khashoggi's murder can exist beyond judicial proceedings at this time. We just need to think about what the word accountability means, because generally we understand it as meaning that perpetrators should be prosecuted and sentenced. And of course, that should be the case. But the reality is that two years may seem like a long time, but it really is not. And if you look at other examples of accountability for 
grave crimes of that nature, on top of which top level officials are also involved, it can take decades. But the good thing is that accountability can take many forms. So it's now been two years, over two years since the murder, and there has already been a truth-telling process ongoing. And although there are some questions that remain unanswered, ultimately, we know what happened and we know who is responsible. And that's already a huge step in the right direction. I would say that accountability is not going to happen overnight, but we can be hopeful that by continuing to speak up and exposing human rights abuses in Saudi Arabia, eventually there will be justice for Jamal and all the others who've been victims of the crackdown. Amid the global fallout over the murder, the Crown Prince's carefully cultivated reputation as a reformer took a hit, with his ambitions to modernize the kingdom scrutinized by rights groups. Bin Salman had relaxed some of the social restrictions which previously existed in Saudi Arabia, allowing mixed-gender concerts and lifting the ban on women drivers. Behind the scenes, however, political repression intensified in the kingdom, as women's rights activists, reformist clerics, and other dissidents were jailed and tortured. And two years after the outrage surrounding Khashoggi's killing, Riyadh has not abandoned its ways. Saudi's human rights record has considerably worsened over the past two years. And ultimately, what the murder of Jamal Khashoggi did is that it brought to light repressive regime where dissenting voices were never welcome to begin with. The problem today is that the authorities have been working very, very hard to polish their image and present themselves as a progressive and modernizing country respecting human rights. So they did take some measures, such as granting women the right to drive or making amendments to the male guardianship system and whatnot. And that should be welcome. But the problem is that these reforms are far from being genuine and are actually used to whitewash the rest of their human rights record. And ultimately, there can be no real change until deep and true reforms are engaged along with, of course, the political will to actually grant people their rights and freedoms. This year, Lujain al-Hatloul, who campaigned for women's right to drive, marked her 31st birthday and second year behind bars. She and other female activists have reported being threatened, tortured, and sexually harassed in detention. 69-year-old dissident Abdullah Hamid died in detention on April 24 after prison authorities barred him from receiving medical treatment for his deteriorating health. Months later, Saudi authorities arrested two writers and a lawyer for mourning at Hamid on social media. Prominent reformist cleric Salman al-Uda, who was arrested in September 2017, currently faces the death penalty. The 37 charges levied against him include inciting rebellion against the kingdom and cynicism over the government's achievements. Abdullah al-Uda, Salman's U.S.-based son, spoke to me about Saudi authorities' clampdown on his family following his father's arrest. Uh, of course, my father uh, has been arrested since 2017. They are seeking death penalty against him. They banned seven, 19, now, now ni- a total of 19 members of my family from traveling. And they arrested my uncle uh, two days after the arrest of my father because he broke out the, the news of the arrest of my father. And they are charging him with, uh, with uh, uh, being sympathetic to his brother, meaning my father. In October 2017, my, my passport was going to expire. So I tried to renew my passport. The Saudi government 
told me and sent me a message telling me that uh, my services in the kingdom are frozen, uh, meaning that I could not complete any paperwork outside the kingdom. And if I want to complete any paperwork, I had to go to Saudi Arabia. That 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 did not happen, and 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 and, and immediately knew it was a trap. I mean, the Saudi embassy uh, in Washington D.C. and the Saudi consulate in New York told me explicitly that they are not going to renew my passport, but rather they offered, a, a, you know, a temporary pass that will only allow me to go back to Saudi Arabia. I declined and uh, I knew it was a trap and I just uh, ignored it. Before his death, Jamal Khashoggi founded Democracy for the Arab World Now, also known as Dawn, a U.S.-based activist group dedicated to promoting human rights and democracy in the Arab world. Khashoggi's friends, colleagues, and supporters officially launched Dawn on the two-year anniversary of his killing. Abdullah al-Ouda serves as Dawn's research director for Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. It was supposed to launch around the end of 2018, but Jamal Khashoggi, of course, uh, was killed on October 2nd, 2018. And uh, because of that, we had a few hiccups. Nevertheless, we decided to uh, take on the mantle to uh, continue the mission and to fulfill one of the best dreams of uh, Jamal's. And uh, the mission was to have voices from within, within the Arab world, to have people express themselves. That's why we have, for example, a section called uh, Democracy in Exile, having people who fled their countries in the Arab world because they demanded democracy and freedom and liberties. The section is to have them speak, to, to let them express themselves, to integrate their ideas in our foreign policy and try to influence uh, Washington circles through their own ideas of democracy and how uh, we should affect our societies at home. Despite the international outcry over its human rights abuses, Saudi Arabia continues to be warmly welcomed on the world stage. One particularly controversial reaction came from U.S. President Donald Trump, who consistently downplayed the Saudi government's role in the killing of Khashoggi, a U.S. resident. If what happened happened, and if the facts check out, it's something that's very bad. At the same time, they have been a very good ally of ours. They've been helping us a lot with respect to Israel. They've been funding a lot of things. Trump also allegedly boasted to journalist Bob Woodward about saving the crown prince from consequences over the assassination. As Riyadh is set to host the G20 summit this November, human rights groups have urged world leaders to press the kingdom on its prisoners of conscience and answers for Khashoggi's murder. So far, the most significant stance came from the mayors of London, Paris, New York, and Los Angeles, who decided to boycott a mayor's summit in protest of Saudi Arabia's human rights record. Saudi Arabia, after all what happened, after all these atrocities, after the worst humanitarian crisis in Yemen, after the killing of Khashoggi, after the crackdowns on everybody, including his own royal family, uh, and uh, after seeking death penalty against prominent scholars like my father, and after electrocuting and torturing and sexually harassing uh, prominent feminists like Lujan al-Hudlul, now is hosting the G20 summit in November. And this is just preposterous. And this just tells you about the lack of accountability 
despite the condemnation, despite the, uh, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the words that were uh, just, uh, you know, used to uh, condemn uh, the operation itself. Two years after Jamal Khashoggi's death, Saudi Arabia has tightened its grip on its citizens within and outside the kingdom. Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's ambitious vision for the kingdom bears visible cracks, which spread further with its mounting human rights abuses. And despite Riyadh's brutal tactics in silencing dissent, the voices of Khashoggi and Saudi detainees are amplified by their tireless advocates who are not keen on letting Saudi Arabia off the hook. مش قلت ما نحترموش شكل ما نكرهوش لانهم ناس ناس عباد معناتها اي واحد فينا نجم يجيب صغير يطلع له مثلي جنسيا الله لا يورينا لكن انا لا احترم المثليه الجنسيه لا احترم اشياء This was just a small part of a 23 minute Instagram live stream by Tunisian influencer Lady Samara where she veered off piste from her usual beauty tips to speak on the subject of gay rights Amongst other things that spurred anger, she said, quote, I do not respect homosexuality. A homosexual person is an individual who has stripped himself of all morals and values. Gay people are trying to brainwash our children to become gay, end quote. She also urged her half a million followers to join her in speaking out against homosexuality and even outed a queer activist. For those of you who don't know, outing is when you take it upon yourself to declare that someone else is a homosexual who would have otherwise kept it to themselves. This is especially dangerous when, like in the case of Tunisia, homosexuality is illegal under Article 230 of the country's penal code, which can punish consensual same-sex relationship with up to three years in prison. So usually the queer community in this small North African country are forced to hide in the shadows except when they are dangerously outed on social media for the whole world to see. Many have brandished Lady Samara's words as hate speech, which can have fatal consequences. One of the most dire cases of hate speech happened recently when a gay man in Morocco took his life because he was outed. This happened less than six months ago, and it was due to another influencer, Sofia Talouni, who encouraged her thousands of followers to track down gay men through dating apps and publicly out them. Other men who survived these attacks were blackmailed, threatened, and, at least in the case of three, kicked out of their homes by their parents. In one case, one of these men had been homeless for at least three days, putting him at risk of contracting COVID-19 on top of everything else. In this case, Facebook and Instagram suspended Taluni's accounts, and she eventually apologized for her actions. But an increase in online hate speech has been worrying rights groups, who are seeing a trend of LGBT abuse online. We also see this in Saudi Arabia, where um, you know a, a blogger who was just saying he respects everyone's rights, including the rights of gay people, is now in prison, um, and he is Yemeni and undocumented, so you can imagine the grave abuses that he's, he's faced in prison and also the risk of deportation that he faces upon release. We also see in Egypt, for example, that um, LGBT people are 
entrapped on same-sex dating apps and on social media, whether it be Facebook or WhatsApp. And these kind of technological advancements have become tools for government surveillance against minority groups, especially LGBT people. So it's a very worrying trend that needs international attention, as well as the cooperation by um, large companies like Facebook and Instagram and other social media platforms to combat this discrimination and to protect people's identities online. This is Rasha Yunus, an LGBT researcher at Human Rights Watch. She says that Tunisia tends to have a good reputation in the international arena regarding its treatment of the LGBT community in comparison with other countries in the region. But she says that this reputation might not be up to par with its actions. Uh, while Tunisia has made significant strides on protecting everyone's individual freedoms, uh, including introducing new laws, um, proposed by the Individual Freedoms Committee to protect everyone's right to privacy and non-discrimination. It seems that these laws and these um, you know, positive developments do not include LGBT people in the way that the law professes it will um, protect everyone's rights equally. Um, we see this in Tunisia's record of actively prosecuting people for consensual same-sex conduct. Recently in Tunisia, an appeals court upheld the conviction of two men accused of sodomy. Hasina Daraji, the lawyer who represented the men before the appeals court, said that the defendants were bullied by the police. Allegedly, the two men were insulted and threatened as a means to get to confess to them being gay. And the police even attempted to persuade them to undergo an anal exam which is supposedly used as a test for sodomy, but this practice has been denounced by rights groups as inhumane and discriminatory towards the gay community. Yunus says that this exemplifies the institutionalized discrimination that queer people face in Tunisia. The decision obviously violates um, you know, privacy and non-discrimination under international law, but also Tunisia's um, individual freedoms the, the international community and international bodies in general kind of view Tunisia as this progressive country where, um, you know, in the region, basically one of the safe havens where LGBT people get to be themselves and enjoy a relative degree of freedom, um, despite, you know, Tunisia still having a law on the books that criminalizes same-sex conduct. Um, so this praise that Tunisia gets for its progress on human rights um, is discredited by the criminalization and prosecution of homosexual conduct. Um, it is deeply worrying that this trend is um, ongoing in Tunisia and a blatant invasion of their private life. And it's also worrying that there's a disconnect between um, kind of Tunisia's image and its justice system. In a rather small victory for the gay community in Tunisia, Lady Samara's posts touching on her views on homosexuality were removed by Instagram. Her account was restricted and she could not livestream any more speeches using Instagram. Lady Samara has not replied to the requests by the New Arab to provide a comment on the matter. But subsequently to this backlash, she posted on social media that she was neither for nor against gay people and insisted that she has, quote, lots of gay fans, end quote. For many, Instagram's actions didn't go far enough. A change.org petition demanded to have her Instagram entirely removed, and this has garnered more than 9,000 signatures. Maujudin, one of Tunisia's only LGBT organizations, is now preparing a case to convince them to take a stronger stance against hate speech. I spoke to Rania, one of the representatives on the steering committee of Maujudin. We have published a statement on our social media with Damj and Access Now, 
calling everyone to stand up to these campaigns and especially human rights organizations and defenders to take a clear positions towards hate speech and incitement to violence online and to express their solidarity towards the queer community. And as Maljudin, we have recorded and collected uh, her videos, stories, any kind of virtual content proving her queerphobic uh, statements. We asked also our members or the queer community and allies to report her massively and to sign the petition. And adding to that, we are coordinating now uh, with Access Now, which is an international NGO, and uh, we are working together in order to send Instagram all the necessary documents and the proofs to confirm that she violated Instagram community guidelines. She and the other members of the organization decided to take action by joining forces with their counterparts in Jordan, Egypt and Lebanon. They conducted a study on the digital security of the LGBT community, which showed that 62% of the 238 queer people interviewed said they had been victims of cyber attacks, hate speech, blackmailing, or cyberbullying online. A stark 95% of those who suffered cyber attacks had psychological after effects like anxiety, anger, and even post traumatic stress disorder. The spreading of and the proliferation of the videos and the stories of Lady Samara, there is uh, queer persons who have been assaulted in the street in public spaces. And I think that entire LGBTQI plus hate speech are likely to cause harms as incidents strike at the very essence of who someone is. This can create a set of challenges for queer people who will view the world as a more violent, more discriminatory place. And many will become hyper aware that they are exposed to real future abuse. These challenges are further exasperated by the fact there is no legal framework in Tunisia to protect from uh, hate speech, neither cannot find an effective response from the digital platforms. Amnesty International decried hate speech as one of the most important issues of our time due to the effect it has on cultural influence, which in turn turns to abuse and discrimination offline. The social media sphere is a relatively new battlefield, so the rules and regulations are still being written. Therefore, the LGBT community's involvement in tackling the issue of hate crime is vital to the fight against online abuse. And due to Tunisia's liberal reputation in the region, advocates and rights groups like Maujoudin bear an important responsibility to hold those accountable who threaten the lives of gay people in the region. Thank you for listening to The New Arab Voice. This episode was hosted and produced by myself, Daniel Hejaji, and my colleague, Gaya Karamatza. Don't forget to follow The New Arab on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll see you in two weeks' time with the next episode of The New Arab Voice.